Well, it's a great privilege for me to be here with you in this conference and to see so many healthy men, healthy women, healthy children, so many people beginning to understand the truth and wanting to walk in that truth and wanting to see their own lives change and to see the, the, the people around them, especially their own children, change, to raise up a legacy. I see that and I applaud it. But most of my life and most of my time is found in the third world where when I stand up before a group of people larger than yourself I see nothing of the same. As men we are called to rise up to counter our age to stand boldly for Christ. We are to teach and train and nourish and cherish our wives. We are to see to it that our families are taught the Word of God. And not only taught the Word of God, but that our children can see a shining example in us. But it does not stop there. There are millions of people in our own country who have no such knowledge of the things of God. And there are billions of people outside of our country that have no such knowledge of God. And we cannot be content to simply look at our own families and rejoice. But there must always be a lack of contentment. There must always be a, a stirring and a desire to be at war. That is, until the flag of Jesus Christ flies on every hill in this world. That is, until all the children of Zion come to understand their duty and their privilege before God. I love my family, but I am not all about my family. I love my church back in Virginia, but I am not all about my church. I must love Christ, and in caring for Christ, in cherishing Christ, I must look out and cherish the elect of God throughout all the world that have yet to hear the gospel of our blessed God and the people of God that flounder and suffer though they know Christ they have been infected by not a biblical gospel but a gospel from America and a Christianity from America that in many ways has done them great harm. I am here for Christ. I am here for you and for your family. 
but primarily I am thinking about what can be done through you for Christ. Oh, that God would raise up men from this congregation that would go out into all parts of this nation and all parts of the world and preach the gospel. That we would be willing to suffer and to die for Christ to be preached and for the flag of Zion to be raised. You know, I'm preaching from John chapter 15, but I I look here in Psalms 19 that was read. And and as it was being read, I was just absolutely astounded by something. The heavens in verse 1 are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. The heavens, as splendid as they are, are not the pinnacle of God's creation. After all things were made and God said it was good, He formed a man. So if the inanimate heavens can declare the glory of God, and if through them the knowledge of God can go out into all the earth, then how much through us? How much should it not be through us? Men animated full of the breath of God, the life of God, hopefully the Spirit of God. If inanimate creation can be so used of God, then how much more should we be used of God? Men, listen to me. We look at our sons and we look at our daughters especially in their younger years, and they're so tender and so dear to us. Do not teach them. Do not train them so that they might have an American dream just a bit more moral than everyone else. You train them to suffer. You train them to go out. You train them that it is a good thing to die. For the glorious gospel of our blessed God. I don't want my family to look like they came out of the Victorian era. I want warriors. I want children who are willing to be dirty, who are willing to suffer who are wanting to fight, and they will not allow the heavens to take over the ministry that has been appointed to men. Why are you raising your children? Why are you doing what you're doing? It should be for Him. And it should be that they go out And that they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world. It says in verse 2, Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. There's something amazing going on here. The reality of these things are so strong that even without a word, the gospel is preached through them. 
The glory of God is declared throughout all of creation. Men, can we say the same thing for our lives? Without a word, but just by watching your life, what does your wife see? Without a word, just by watching your life, what do your children see? Without a word, but just by watching your life, what do the people in the world see when they look at you? I'll tell you what they ought to see. They ought to see the same look that the apostles saw in the face of Jesus Christ when he prayed this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's going on there? This is what's going on there. Gentlemen, you were created to take dominion. Yes, the ball was dropped with Adam, but it was regained in Christ. And how do we take dominion? It's not about taking and, and setting up some, some political realm. No. How do we take dominion? We take dominion by going out and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world and living on our knees, crying out, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done, and I shall not rest until Your banner is raised on every hill. It is so hard for a godly woman to submit to a man whose whole life is about this, my kingdom come, my will be done. But when a godly woman looks up and sees in the face of her husband a face sent, set like stone, a man who is all about one thing, him, Christ, His kingdom, the coming of it, the doing of His will, that all the nations hear. A man who will give up everything, sacrifice all things of himself in order to see Christ glorified. Understand this, men. In all the academics of homeschooling, and in all the proper things they can learn, it is all rot. Unless when those children look into the face of their father, they see someone who burns for Christ. Someone with passion for him. Someone who is living it out. So that although the gospel must always be vocalized and preached... Even without a word, they can see in you a man who is given to the kingdom. He goes on and he says this, verse 3, There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. Now from this, you need to understand in the first phrase, their line has gone out through all the earth. That can also be translated, their sound has gone out through all the earth. So I do not believe that this is saying that creation never speaks, never verbalizes, never makes a sound. It's simply saying this, that the reality of God that is seen when you look at creation 
makes it that creation doesn't have to speak. And although the reality of God in our lives ought to be so great that we do not have to say a word, yet at the same time, we should say a word. Man, missions and church planting is not about establishing ecclesiastical buildings. It is not about even sending people forth. It is about sending the truth forth through men. Men, every one of you here, whether you're called into some form of ministry as a preacher or not, your primary obligation is to know the Word of God so that you can utter the Word of God. The greatest gift that I can give my children is not knowledge of the classics. The greatest gift I can give my children is not the Greek and Hebrew tongue. The greatest gift I can give my children and everyone else around me is to pour into them the Word of God in their common tongue. To saturate people. That is our job in the truth. We ought to be men like John Bunyan. When they cut our veins, the Bible comes out. We ought to be men saturated with the Word of God. But gentlemen, listen to me. We are a society of doers and of busybodies. How many men here sat before God more than an hour today? sat quietly before God more than an hour. I'll tell you this. If in all these years I've learned anything, it is not by power. And it is not by might. But it is by His Spirit. And I figure that the only way I can be biblical is that for people to look at me and find no explanation except that the Spirit of God works through the weak. Gentlemen, we must have utterance. We must! But to have utterance, we must be alone with God. He must speak to us in His Word. He must empower us through prayer. He must. It says the line has gone out through all the earth that it would be so about us. I just turned 49 years old. I have people write me letters. They say, God has used you. God has done this and God has done that. The ministry heart cry has established a good name for itself. Many people say, you ought to write some sort of book about the history of all that God has done. What is that in light of the fact that three billion people have not heard? What is that in light of the fact that even here in America, the great majority of even true believers have yet to understand that God must reform them? 
Not just theologically and not just in the aspects of the church, but in every aspect of their life, including, surely including the family. For there is no reformation until the reformation makes it all the way through. And so men, give yourselves to your family, but do not make your family an idol. There is a world out there that needs some of the joy that has become yours. For every testimony in this place, and I am sure there are many, for every testimony in this place of marriages and families and husbands and wives and children that have been healed from the truths discovered, there are countless millions who perish. And the prophecy is fulfilled, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. They said of some of the great explorers, the Crockett's and the Boone's, in the early part of our, our country, that there was an unrest in them. There was a fire in their eye, always a desire for another hill. Oh, that God would give us men like that. Men who will not neglect their duties, but men who are not domesticated. Men who know the heart of God, that He loves men of all nations and tongues and people. I look at my boys during our our nightly Bible study, and I'm just praying, oh God, send them, send them, take them, make them strong. Make them calloused where men ought to be calloused. Make them driven where men ought to be driven. Make them soft where they ought to be soft. And take them out and wrangle every ounce of life out of them that you put into them. And make my daughter a handmaiden of a man just like them. Oh, brothers... You were made for this. This is what you were made for. To always be fighting. To always be struggling. Men are not happy men. Comfortable and safe. It's not what we were made for, but it's what years, generations of culture has told you. Doesn't that make you want to live? To look in your family? And see that you're not just someone who brings home the bacon until you're too old to be of any use. And then you kind of just putter away. But to look at your family 
and think, God will use me to do something here, to fight great battles here, to get yourself in a biblical church or to go out and plant one, as Spurgeon would say. Why? You're not just planting a church. You're moving forward the front on the battle line. You're deep in the heart of the enemy. You're surrounded on all sides. Oh, gentlemen, what a joy it is when the sword sticks to your hand because you have had to swing it all day. This is what you were made for. Well, I... Their line has gone out through all the earth and the utterance, their utterance to the end of the world. When do you drop your sword? When you're 65? When do you grow content about a ministry when something wonderful has happened in your locale? You drop your sword and you look up for a smile when the last hill is won or until Christ in His sovereignty has said, it is enough, come home. Or until the Father says to the Christ, go get them. Until it goes out to all the world. I just returned a few weeks ago from Indonesia. Beautiful people without Christ. I just returned from Varanasi, India, one of their holiest cities where the streets are no more than two or three meters wide and filled with the dung of cattle and monkeys that are worshipped. And people living in a swallow, a sewer like you cannot imagine. They have traveled from all over the world to be there in order to die there so that they can be burned there with an eternal fire that's 3,000 years old. Now that violates logic. To be burnt there. And when you walk through the city, the smoke of dead bodies, dead human bodies cling to your skin and your clothing. When should we be content? When they have turned from monkeys and bovine, and they are worshiping Christ. And they are walking in a human dignity that no one can know apart from the genuine, not American, but genuine Christian faith. Or in the Muslim world, where women are treated as cattle, where they're covered up from head to foot Gloves and stockings and head garments all dressed in black with only a tiny slit through which you cannot even see their eyes. And it's 115 degrees outside. In bondage. 
Do you realize most of you are probably from some European descent and you think yourself so noble because of it? Prior to the coming of Christianity into Europe, our ancestors were running around naked, painting themselves blue and eating one another. It is Christ and Christianity. This is what the world needs. Sometimes when I'm on college campuses, I will ask if I'm teaching, uh, and there's a group of young ladies, oftentimes with different colored hair and tattoos and spikes through their nose and so on, and I look down at them. No, I don't despise them. My heart breaks for them. I love them. If you despise them and turn your eyes at them, do you Pharisee, what do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, why do you boast? But I look at them, and I'll always ask them this question. I'll just stop the lecture, and I'll go, let me ask you young ladies a question. How many of you have seen uh, Pride and Prejudice, the BBC one? And they'll all raise their hand. And I'll go, when you saw that, after that was over, were you kind of sad? And they'll all go, yeah, was real sad. I said, did you know why you were sad? The death of beauty. You looked at those young ladies and they were beautiful. And the way they were treated, they were so protected that if one of them by accident, their hand was brushed by the hand of a young man by accident, they would almost lose their breath. You've lost that. You can't even blush. The Victorian era was not Christian. Christianity was already beginning to die in that locale. But it is what we see, even when there are remnants of Christianity, that Christ restores life into every aspect of life, not just church, but family, culture, society, art, music, everything. So when I speak about a reformation in the entire world, I'm not talking about just someone understands the gospel from a four spiritual laws track and then we hand them a little book on how to live the Christian life. I am talking about a complete revolution of culture through the preaching of the gospel so that all things are made subject to the mind of Christ. I don't get up in the morning and read just because I enjoy reading. It is because I must know. I must be able to speak. I must be able to relate truth. And all of us must say that. Men, our sword is not made of steel. It is a book. And you must know it in order to conform your life to it, the life of your family and the life of the world. And it goes on, it says in verse 5, talking about the son, he says, which is a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. Oriental literature will tell you that there is hardly anything more spectacular 
than a bridegroom coming forth from his chamber, marching with joy, with pride, expectancy. It says it rejoices, the son does, as a strong man to run his course. I wish we were that way. I wish that we were like the son. Gentlemen, the reason why this is absent in us is because we've been told we have no purpose. Or have we, we have been told that there are only great purposes and all the little purposes of daily life are meaningless. That is not true. Or we've come to believe that only preachers and apologists and prophets have purpose. That is not true. When Christ died and resurrected from the grave, he took the lid from the tomb, he ripped it off the top, he infused it with light. That is what he has done to everything in your life. Gentlemen, there is no longer anything sacred, anything secular in us. All things are sacred. Even the pots and pans in our homes. We do all to the glory of God. The little, the little children's rhyme in verse Bible that I read to my baby, at that moment it has as much purpose as preaching before 10,000. And then one day, the rhyme and verse Bible turns into something a little bit more complex, a little bit grander. And then the Scriptures, and then the New Testament, and then the Old, and then we're speaking theology, and then we're talking about truth and sacrifice and the call of Christ, and eventually, before you know it, you have an 18-year-old who doesn't just have a different way of dressing but a completely different worldview by the grace of God who sees the world through completely different eyes. Look at this. Look at this idea of strength. Bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. That we would rejoice, gentlemen, as strong men, to run our course. This has nothing to do with physical strength. It has nothing to do with the depth of our chest. It has nothing to do even with human will or courage. I am a physically broken man. I hurt right now. My right arm is numb. I couldn't beat my way out of a paper sack. I have to psych myself up to pick up my three-year-old daughter. And God has done this to me. Not the devil. God. Because it is in brokenness and weakness that we are driven to our knees and ours on our knees, we become strong. We become strong. 
The weakest of us will chase a hundred, a thousand, ten thousand. Your problem is not that you are too weak. Your problem is that you are too strong. Oh, that God would break you into a million pieces. Gentlemen, every one of us ought to look like a stained glass window that has been smashed with a hammer countless times and glued back together with a hot rod of soldering. I need to tarry here for a second. In all you're doing, are you a man of prayer? Are you a man of prayer in all you're doing, in all your knowledge, in all your proper manner of living, in all your homeschooling, in all your separation? Are you a man of prayer? We need the power of the Holy Spirit if we are going to come forth from the chamber strong as a man rejoicing to run its course. The power of the Holy Spirit. Let me share something with you. Most of you are very serious about your theology, but know this. A Jehovah Witness comes to my door and knocks on the door, and I say, hello, can I help you? They say, we're Jehovah Witnesses. And I said, well, come on in. So am I. <laughs> and they walk in, and I listen to them for about five minutes, and I say, you're not a witness for a Jehovah. You are lying about Jehovah. And I just sit there for a moment. I'm going to talk to you like a real witness for Jehovah. Now, why do I say it that way? I'll tell you why I say it that way. I am not going to allow any man any cult, any fringe Christian group to steal from me my heritage. I am a witness for Jehovah. And I am charismatic. No, I am not a TV preacher. And yes, I do believe that probably 95% of everything taught about the Holy Spirit is wrong. But that will not cause me to deny the Holy Spirit. It will not cause me to cease seeking ever greater manifestations of His power in my life. From what I read in this book, there is absolutely nothing that can be accomplished apart from the divine sap flowing from the vine into this branch. Dear sisters in Christ, your weakness, make it a habit to cry out. Put a sign on the refrigerator and on the window and on the mirror, and especially in the place where you homeschool, that apart from Him, we can do nothing constantly crying out for greater and greater supernatural workings of God in our lives. You will not accomplish this through strength of will. 
It will not be even because you have instilled, had instilled in you some sort of character through proper training. This is supernatural. It is a supernatural word we have, and we need the supernatural power of God, the person of the Holy Spirit working in our lives so that we might speak much about Christ and reflect much of Christ. It is only through the Spirit of God. And I am afraid that there are so many who have been reformed theologically and they have come to a point where the Holy Spirit almost does not exist in their life and they know so little of His power. Your Christology is wonderful. Your ecclesiology is clean. But you've become a pneumophobe. You're afraid of the only person who can communicate to you the divine wealth and power and life of Jesus Christ. Don't let anyone steal from you your heritage. These children, yes, they need the influence of good books and wise authors, but they need the influence of the Spirit of God more than all other things put together. Because only the Spirit of God can regenerate their heart and turn them from a depraved, God-hating creature into a new creation with new affections. You see, when we talk about this bridegroom coming out of his chamber, what is driving him? And this is a thing also missing in Christianity today. He is not being driven by guilt. He is not being driven by mere duty. He is being driven by joy. You see, when the Spirit of God comes... Well, let me back up. In the preaching of the gospel, you have to realize it is an absolute impossibility because the more you reveal Christ to the depraved heart, the more that depraved heart will kick against the knowledge of Christ. And so what must happen for that man to come to Christ? His heart must be regenerated. A new creature must be birthed, that heart of stone removed and a heart of flesh that is willing and joyful to respond to God is put in its place. That's regeneration, and that is what must happen to every one of our children. Because here is the catch. The old wicked heart had wicked affections for evil, and those wicked affections for evil drove it to desire more and more evil. But when the Spirit of God regenerates a heart, the evidence of regeneration is that the affections have been changed. So now they are driven not by mere duty, not by the sense of doing the right thing. They are driven by these magnificent affections for Christ that are birthed in them but must be cultivated must be cultured, must be cared for through the renewing of the mind and the Word of God. Realize this, parents, with all that you do, none of it has the strength to bring about a new creature. But the Spirit of the living God.
Although when we look in the mirror, at least some of us, and we see something of a lightweight, we can rejoice in our weakness because in the Spirit of God we can come forth like a bridegroom coming out of His chamber. And we can run as a strong man runs his course. Look in verse 6. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. When it talks about the sun rising and the sun setting, my mind is cast over to Malachi. My, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Malachi 1.11, from the rising to the setting of the sun. His name will be great among the nations. Dad, what's this house about? What's our home about? What are you about? Well, son, we're about the glory of God. And we're about hallowed be His name. His kingdom come. His will be done. We're about, son, this. That from the rising of the sun even to its setting, His name might be great among the nations. We are about this, that the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Whenever I preach like this, sometimes I have people come up to me and they say, well, what are you, post-millennial? You just think everything's going to get better? Jesus could come back tonight and Jesus could come back a thousand years from now. And when He comes back a thousand years from now, it could be that this world will look really, really bad. I don't know. But no one has told me when He's coming back. And no one has told me in the Scriptures that there can not be a revival. I am not fighting to lose. I am not seeking just to hold ground and try to get out with my family as lots stumbled out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because if I love my family, although I should have a specific affection for my wife and my children, but if I care about my wife and my children and their soul, but do not care for the man, the woman, and child in the house next to mine, it shows that my family is nothing more than an idol to me. From the rising to the setting of the sun, are you praying for missions in your home? Are you praying for church plants? Are you teaching your children, we got to advance, we got to advance, we got to advance? Are you reading and reading to them the great stories of missionaries and martyrs? Are you placing before them proper heroes that actually fight and die for something worth fighting and dying for? Listen to what it says here. And its circuit to the other end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Nothing hidden from its heat.
Does your wife and your children feel your fire? Does it feel, do they feel your fire? Do you burn for him? You see, gentlemen, that is why we must be men who are alone with God. We must take time. I know that many of you work long hours, and I do not want to heap guilt upon you, but I can tell you this. The strength, the knowledge, the wisdom, the power, the heat, the passion, it comes from Him and being in His presence and seeking Him in the Word and crying out to Him to warm your heart. This morning I woke up. It's about five this morning, and I, I, I just I didn't want to be here. I'm so tired, and I, I, I didn't want anything. I just wanted to be alone. A cold state my heart was in this morning. And at that moment is the moment that we most must go to our knees and cry out to God in the watch hours of the night crying out to God until something stirs. And a stirring turns into a spark and a spark turns into a flame. You say, Brother Paul, I'm not given to that. No man is given to that. We fight for it. We cry out to God and say, I will not let thee go until you bless me. I need more than what I am, O oh God. A man of prayer. Look what it says here. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Nothing is hidden from its heat. You can fake a lot of things. You can put in a lot of programs. You can tie enough strings on a corpse and know how to maneuver it around to make it look like the thing most alive. But you cannot fake heat. Oh, man, I'm not saying this to condemn myself or to condemn you. I'm not telling you that you need more water only to tell you that it's not available. I am telling you, you need more water and it is available. Not by coming up here and being prayed over by me but by going to God and staying there. There is water for the thirsty and there is heat for the cold at heart. You see, men, there is an aspect of precept in our life. And what I mean by that is we have the written word of God And we are, through 
even discipline to submit ourselves to that word. But I want to tell you, if I've learned anything over the years of being broken and ground to powder, it is this, I cannot follow the barest precept or the most minimal command. I cannot. But when he comes and he fills and he inflames, we can. When I was first called into the ministry, this preacher, and I've never met another like him in all my years, was a man of God. Not just an expositor, not just a good communicator. He was a man of God. It was almost frightening to be around him. You felt as though when he looked at you, he could read everything in you. And this is what he told me nearly 30 years ago. I said, sir, God's called me to preach. And he said this, boy, can you be alone? And I thought that what he meant was if I preached the gospel truly and I told the truth, the full counsel of God, that men would reject me. That's not what he meant. What he meant was this. While all the other young men are running around in bachelor packs and all the other guys are grouped together talking theology, can you go out on a hill somewhere and cry out to God? Can you stray away from the pack long enough so that God becomes the greatest reality in your life? Because, young man, that is what you will need. If I had to say there was anything that separated the men of God today from the men of God of yesteryear was they were men who were not quite so busy who sought and knew the presence of God. They did possibly less than us. But when they came forth from their chamber, nothing was hidden from their heat. Men, this conference is about church planting. Church planting. What a wonderful thing. And how entirely unbiblical. What do you mean? Well, we're planting a church. But have you ever thought about that terminology? So what? You're going to bud a church? You're going to plant a church. Do you know what church planting is? A man discerning the vine. That's what church planting is. Don't you ever forget this. It's a man who watches the vine. And he sees where the vine is growing. And he sees where the vine is moving. And he does not plant that new branch. He goes there as a worker to cultivate it and protect it. So ultimately, church planting is not based upon strategies and studies of demographics. But church planting is a man watching 
Christ. Where is he going? What is he doing? Where will he bud next? I will be ready. I will be ready. Well, we, we did not get to our sermon. But I suppose this introduction will have to suffice. Know this. Know this. There is more hope out there than you could ever imagine. There is more I can do all things through Christ than you ever dreamed But the race is not to the swift, and the wrestle is not to the strong of arm. It's to men who know they can do nothing, and everything they have is useless. But if God is moving, and God grabs a hold, the weakest arm can shake the foundations of a world. Men, there's nothing that cannot be accomplished within the will of God. And that will, I assure you, is much deeper, much wider than you could ever believe. You are not the one trying to drag God to do something. And God is not the one trying to drag you to do something. God is the God who is calling you to Himself that He might fill you and teach you and make you strong. I have so many young men that come to me and they say, I want to be a missionary, but I do not know to which people God is calling me. And I said, young man, that's because He is not calling you to a people. He's calling you to Himself. You will be no good to that people unless you are first of all His. You burn with Him. You've read them, haven't you? Brainerd, was he strong? No. Robert Murray McShane, but he died when he was 28, poor of health all the way through. What did he have? They were men who knew God. And the weak and coughing, and slight of speech, and trembling of hand. God shook the world with them. He shook the world with them. Young men, learn from that. I learned a long time ago that not every man is courageous. And not every man is strong. And not every man is eloquent. But I learned that all men can fall before God and stay there long enough 
to be filled with more power than the hearts of narrow-minded, small-hearted men could ever bear. Go to God. Go to God.